Hello and welcome back to another edition of Friends of the Vine Wine Podcast. So episode 32 will feature Natalie McLean. Natalie is a wine writer. She's an author. She has two books out. She's working on a third one right now. And she runs, I would say, Canada's largest wine review website. It's got a ton of great content, lots of various wines that she reviews, and she has a team of people that review. She also has created some online wine courses, and she actually began her own wine podcast recently called Unreserved Wine Talk. You may have also seen her on CTV. She's featured there quite a bit. She's one of their go-to people. And before we actually get into this episode, I actually wanted to thank some people for their feedback on my most recent episodes. I've had a couple episodes recently with Esther Mobley and with Sam Mudi. The episode with Sam I felt was a bit crunchy on the Skype and a bit of the wind and a bit of the crunchiness that uh, came through. And I was asking for some feedback from people and got some great great feedback from a few folks. Uh, one of them specifically was John Bjork. He is the co-owner for Marcus Wine Company down in Lodi. And uh, he's uh, quite a quite a presence down in the Lodi, California wine scene. And uh, I wanted to thank him personally for that. Love to head down there actually and be able to podcast with a few of those a few of those folks down in, in, in Lodi down, down that way. Actually, the other area I'm thinking about as well, making a trip, is I would love to go out to the New York wine regions and Virginia as well. Got a lot of listeners out in Virginia. I appreciate you guys. And would love to go out your way and chat with some of the winemakers that you guys have out there. Especially after going up to the Okanagan and, and visiting and recording with uh, Kelsey from Echo Bay Vineyard. That was so much fun, being able to be out in the, be able to walk around the property, be out in the vines and go do some tastings and stuff and uh, barrel sampling. So yeah, that was lots of fun. I'd love to do that again. Anyway, let's get started with this episode with Natalie. We actually start with a conversation about how she actually got into wine in the first place. Let's get right into it. You've been into wine for quite a while, obviously. So I mean, you kind of, you started your passion when you were quite young, I would say. <laughs> well, I, um, I grew up on the East Coast in Nova Scotia. So it was beer and whiskey on the table, actually. Didn't get to wine until a little later in life. Um, I was in my late 20s before I actually started drinking wine. If you don't count Baby Duck behind the high school portable, of course. Yeah, that's everybody's first experience is is a bad Baby Duck, eh? (laughs) Exactly, and that screeching sugar headache that you get the next day. Yeah, that's such a Canadiana reference. It is, isn't it? So you, you kind of you kind of started getting into getting into wine when you were a little bit a little bit older, shall we say? I didn't really get started until I was um, graduated from the MBA at uh, the University of Western Ontario because I finally had some money, and um, my then husband and I would start to go out for dinner. We had moved to Toronto. He was working on Bay Street, and I was working at Procter and Gamble. And uh, we would go out and he started ordering wine. I, I remember even the first night I had my first really good glass of wine. And we were at an Italian restaurant. We were having a wonderful pasta dish. And the waiter said, would you like some Brunello with that? And I thought it was a sauce or something for the pasta. <laughs> and he brought over two tumbler glasses, really casual, poured the wine. And, you know, put it down the table, said, ciao. So we 
we tried this wine. I just remember raising it up and, and the smell. The, I didn't know how to describe it back then. I had no words, but I thought, wow, this is something different from the baby duck. <laughs> and uh, I just lost myself in it. I mean, I, I really, the aromas and, and, the, and then, of course, the taste and, and then the buzz, it was all, you know, lighting up all of my senses. Yeah. And I think that that's when I first decided I need to know how to describe this because I want this experience again. It's not just a matter of remembering this wine, but understanding why I love it. Well, and to have Brunello as one of your first wines, that's that's pretty uh, that's pretty great as well. Yeah, I had no idea that it wasn't just a sauce. <laughs> it was a really great wine. And uh, he served it casually, so that was a great introduction because there was none of the pretense of swirling and smelling corks in a fancy glass. It was literally in a in a little glass tumbler, but it had all the magic that you know great wine can deliver. That's that's cool. I'm I'm just curious because you you kind of went from that you went from that initial you know entry into wine to getting to where you are now where you you're you know you've you've written different books and how did that flow from that point onwards Right well I was in high tech or I transitioned into high tech uh from product marketing at Procter and Gamble and I was based in Canada but the head office was in Mountain View California it's now the the campus where Google is housed. And so I would go down at least once a quarter to visit my colleagues there and plan. And, you know, gradually I started arranging meetings on Thursdays or Fridays so that conveniently I could drive up to Sonoma and Napa on the weekends. Because the thing that I got exposed to down in California, but also just being in the world of business, was increasingly better wines because you take clients out for dinner. You know, there was no time for golf, thank goodness, because I'm just not a fan. <laughs> but I uh, I got to know wine. And so then, you know, I still had that thirst to know why I love the wines that I did and, and conversely why I didn't like other wines. And so going to Napa and Sonoma and talking to people in the tasting rooms was a great way to discover that. And then that eventually led to me taking or uh, starting the sommelier course at George Brown College in Toronto, and I later finished when I moved here to Ottawa at Algonquin College. Just thinking about Napa and Sonoma, did you go down to Lodi as well? I didn't. I didn't branch out from the brand names. Those were the areas I knew that had all of the, the labels I recognized at the time because my knowledge was very concentrated, shall we say, very minimal. And But just going into the tasting rooms, and they were so friendly, the people who would be pouring the wines. And especially if you were there when it wasn't busy, I just quizzed them. And and then I realized just how illustrative it is to taste wines side by side. Mm. So, you know, in a tasting room, of course, you're getting small samples and, uh, well, sometimes spitting. Yeah. I should be spitting. <laughs> um, but it then started to leap out at me, the differences between the wines, because, you know, maybe they poured three different Chardonnays. So it's like mini tasting classes. And that really got me going on the road to, okay, I really, I can see now how a systematic approach is going to really up my game and help me understand wine and, and again, what I like. It's definitely that systematic approach, and I, I find that even wines that I know, um, or wines that have had maybe one, you know, perhaps one vintage of, 
to try and then perhaps get a few more years in, in a row, you know what I mean? Like trying to go somewhere and line up a few different vintages in a row and then you can then you can see those those differences and the different nuances between the years. Absolutely. And you know that's that's what I do also through my online courses is I tell my students, listen, you know, no wonder you've been intimidated by wine and trying to figure it out when you've probably only ever had one glass at a time in front of you. And I tell them, here's your license to chill. Become a two or three fisted uh, drinker, not drinker, sampler, taster. Yeah. <laughs> but they, they like to have fun with it. But as you're saying, Ian, it, you know, you can either do the vertical tasting, which is what you're talking about, when you have one wine but get different vintages to compare the difference that the vintage made, the the, cla- the, the weather and so on. Or you can do a horizontal tasting, which of course we both know is not the position that you finish in after drinking. <laughs> it's a horizontal might be three different Chardonnays from you know three different wineries or regions or whatever. But that's when you know it came alive for me and now for my students who take my online courses because you're comparing side by side. You start to get that confidence because it's so easy to pick out the differences when you can compare them. Yeah, exactly. So I guess, how did you go from there to wine writing? How did you go from, you know what I mean? How did, how did that kind of come about? Sure, I had a baby. Ah. <laughs> I, I tease him, my son, <laughs> Ryan, that he drove me to drink. And then I say, no, not really. I love you. Um, but I had been working in high tech for about four years. And of course, had not taken any vacation. So my mat- maternity leave ended up being about a year. And by then I had finished the sommelier course just for fun at night and decided I need to keep my brain alive while I'm on mat leave. So I started um, cold calling, pitching editors. And the first one I tried was Loblaws, the grocery store chain across Canada. And at the time they had a gorgeous food magazine called President's Choice. And I pitched them the article was wine on the internet because that's what I had been doing in my high tech job. I was an internet evangelist going from conference to conference. And in fact, at one conference, I was on this panel with founders or management of uh, wine.com, amazon.com, and some others. And so that marriage between high tech and wine was already intriguing me. How could I bring these things together? And that's what I wrote. That was the subject of my first article for them. And that turned into a column. And that gave me the confidence to cold call and pitch other editors like at the National Post and other places so that it became something I was doing full time by the time my mat leave was over. And I decided not to go back because I just loved what I was doing. And I could be home with my son. That's where you kind of have to make that decision or take that plunge, right? And and decide, you know what, this is not only is it a passion, but you, you saw, you saw the potential for, for the future as well. I was fortunate. I mean, I worked hard and, um, I had the skills because my favorite thing to do when I was in marketing for high tech was write customer success stories. So it's all with the research, the writing, that's what I loved and the storytelling, bringing something alive with storytelling and all of that really, was transferable into wine writing. You know, that said, I had to really hustle and get out there and pitch because I had no contacts. I had no industry experience. I had the sommelier program that I had completed. 
It was a diploma program. But as you know, Ian, learning about wine is constant. I mean, you'll never know it all. And <laughs> and that's probably a good thing because it keeps you humble. And I think with an attitude of an enthusiast, um, an enthusiastic amateur. I still consider myself that even though I am a professional who's been writing now for 20 years, had two books published with Random House. Um, I still try to take that enthusiastic amateur mindset when I'm teaching my courses or working on the new book that I'm writing right now. Anything like that because I think that keeps you in touch with your readers and also that first joy, that first thrill that led you to wine originally. And and like you said, there's always something that comes up that will probably surprise you that you're like, oh, I didn't know that, or that's you know, or a different a different take on on a subject that you thought you thought you've heard a million times. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like just little things, little tidbits thrill me. <laughs> I learned um, just a couple of weeks ago that the vines twirl around the trellis one way in the northern hemisphere and the other way in the southern hemisphere. It's like a, it's like the way the water goes down the drain in the bathtub. I had no idea. Anyway, I just I just love little intricacies like that. They just it makes it fascinating because of this, you know, marriage of all the different disciplines, not just agriculture, but you know, the science and the the commerce and the history and the religion and the art. I've always said, you know, wine could be the hub of a liberal arts degree, the organizing principle, because it draws on so many disciplines and and is connected to so much of what we what we do and who we've been in the past. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. My most recent knowledge insight is I finally figured out how to spell Kaveri. Oh, really? There you go. <laughs> spell that, it. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Spell with us. <laughs> Speaking about your books, it's it's it is interesting how you kind of, like you were saying about storytelling. It is it is quite quite a a unique way to 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 write the books and and definitely have a kind of a storytelling perspective when you when you write them. Absolutely. I'm a firm believer in storytelling. Our brains, we are wired to want uh, to be told stories. From the time we're little and we get bedtime stories read to us to even now as adults. It's why we love Game of Thrones or anything else that's binge-worthy. We, we're wired for storytelling. And in fact, I found out um, this recent study came to my attention, and they've measured the brain waves of a storyteller, the person who's telling the story, and someone who's listening. And at first, their brain waves are very different. But as they get into the story, as the storyteller progresses, slowly, the two people, their brain waves get in sync. And it's like a, a connecting factor. It's just fascinating. But I think, you know, beyond that, we remember things, whether it's learning points or whatever, when we can connect them to a story. So that's why, as you said in, in um, my books, Red, White, and Drunk All Over, and the second one, Unquenchable, every chapter is a story. But you're still learning things. So, for instance, instead of telling you what good sommelier service should be in a restaurant, I went undercover to work as a sommelier in a five-diamond restaurant, and I was terrified. Mm. And so I tell you what went on that evening, how I was feeling, you know, when I dripped wine on the tablecloth, 
you know, when I couldn't answer a question and so on. I mean, it wasn't a complete disaster, but I think, you know, as you journey with me through that evening of working in a very stuffy French restaurant, you learn what good sommelier service is. And you're going to remember it much more than if I had given you the 25 things to remember about what good service is and what to ask the sommelier. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good point. And I was just thinking about other other good wine books as well. You've obviously also interviewed Bianca Bosker. Yes. Her her uh, style and her book as well, the the storytelling style, it just... Same thing. You just get immersed into the into what's going on and the situations that she's in, in in her book as well. Oh, she's fabulous! I just loved interviewing her, and of course, I loved her book. And uh, yes, she was uh, working at restaurants as well. And um, you know, it's it's kind of uh, George Plimpton was a famous writer back in the I don't know fifties or sixties, but he wrote a number of books using this technique. It's not unique uh, by any means to me, to him, to lots of writers do this, mm-hmm. but he wrote a famous football book uh, while he played football for the team for, I don't know, a number of months. But, you know, so again, I, I took that same concept and instead of telling you what goes into making wine, I worked a harvest with a really terrific and crazy winemaker, Randall Graham of Bonnie Dune in California. And so he's making me carry the spit buckets because it's fun to make the wine writer carry the spit bucket. <laughs> and I'm hauling hoses and he's, you know, half a mile down the the uh, winery and going, hurry up, come on. You wanted the full experience. We're giving you the full experience. <laughs> Out there picking grapes and everything else, ruining my manicure. Not that I'm prissy, but anyway. So again, it's a journey, but you still get the info, but I think you just, you retain it when you're being told a story, when you're being entertained. You know, I always say entertain first, educate second, because, you know, if you lose people, if you're dull, (laughs) you'll never get them back. They'll never remember and they won't keep going with you. Yeah. And that's the same with your, with your online wine course, because that's keeping, keeping people engaged and, and, uh, like you said, keeping them entertained because there's so much there's so much good content out there that keeping them, like you said, keeping them engaged is is a, is a way to retain them. And I I've, I know that a lot of people, you know, they'll stick. Like you said, they'll stick with you. And you have that. You have those people. You know, they're they're fans for life, shall we say? They are. And I don't know if you've heard of the concept "A Thousand True Fans." Ian, um, I think it's Kevin Kelly and High Tech came up with it. But you know, for any business. You just need a thousand diehard fans. I mean, I have more than two hundred and seventy thousand people signed up for my newsletter who get that, you know, every Friday. But really, what we need, you know, for any business or any following or gathering is a thousand people who will trust us, they know, like, and trust us in a way that they will come to us for the things that we offer, you know, how we make our living. And in my case, it's the online courses and the wine reviews. But yeah, as you you know, going back to your point with the, the courses, there's so much free information out there. So, you know, someone could say, oh, you know what, I don't need to take a wine course. There's so many free videos. There's, you know, newsletters, whatever. But I think part of what makes a course worthwhile is the journey that you take people on, that you organize it for them and you take them step by step in terms of what they need to do to appreciate wine, but do it in a fun, engaging, entertaining way. And I think that's what's missing from all the free info. It's not organized. It's kind of a chaos. And 
Do you remember it? Is it trustworthy? Does the person know what they're talking about? And did they take you on a coherent journey where now you feel confident that you know why, you know what you like, you know how to pair it with food, what to look for in the liquor store to buy wine, how to choose from a restaurant list, you know, all of the facets, the sort of the complete system, if you will, but in a way that keeps you engaged. And that's that's kind of what I try to deliver with the courses. And I think that's what makes it effective in terms of delivering it online as well. The folks who take my courses don't necessarily want to become sommeliers, although I must say I've had sommeliers take my courses because I do deep dives like wine and cheese pairing and all the different types of cheeses. So I, I do get people who are knowledgeable about wine taking a specific subject like that with me. But the people generally who take my flagship course, which is Get Wine Smart, aren't out there to, to work in the industry or to become a sommelier, but they want to be smart about wine and savvy about wine. So you need that sort of journey and that coherency to, to move through the material, mm. um, but you don't necessarily want to take the deep dive that some of the professional designations offer, like maybe you just don't need to know the differences between Hungarian oak and Slovenian oak and, yeah. you know, the, the real deep dive, retinomyces and all the different. So, but you can still, you know, be in, intelligent about it and get enough information so that you're confident you become the expert on your own taste. Because that's what people tell me time and time again. I know what I like. You know, I've been drinking wine for a while, but I don't know why I like it. And I wish I knew why. And that goes back to my first experience. Because if I knew why, I'd know how to experiment with other wines and be confident in choosing different wines instead of defaulting to this same wine that I keep buying over and over again. And I'd know what to avoid. And I'd know better how to pair it with more a wider range of food pairings yeah that's exactly and and that's i think people get stuck in that that rut that they look at the wine list and they they just look for that one wine that they know and mm -hmm. uh rather than exploring a little bit and even just perhaps it's the same grape but it's from a different uh, you know different part of the world or or you know exactly exactly and if you can make those connections then you can have more and better experiences you know because restaurant lists are tough because good restaurants often don't have the wines that you're familiar with because they want to offer you a new taste experience that you likely can't get from the liquor store and so you know then you're really lost so what do you do and that's where you know this learning comes into play not only making those associations well if i like this wine i probably like that one but you know what do you ask the sommelier to and not feel intimidated or, you know, to start a smart conversation with someone who knows a whole lot more about wine than you do, but to hold your own and to feel confident in what you're asking that person. It's funny. Uh, I was just thinking, I went to the Top Drop uh, Wine Festival in Vancouver a few weeks ago. And before going there, uh, I went and saw my friend Sean Nelson, who works at the Hawksworth restaurant in um, in Vancouver. Right. He's a advanced psalm. And he kept putting glasses of wine in front of me that I'd never had just to, just to test me and just to, you know, expand my, expand my palate. And, uh, but he knows what I like. And so he kept, he kept, well, I'll try this one. Okay. Well now try this one. 
Uh, that's great. Yeah, Sean. Sean's terrific. I interviewed him and uh, Vidge when he was still at uh, Vidge's restaurant in Vancouver right. about pairing wine and spicy food on my podcast. And he's amazing. He's so vibrant and and generous with his wine tips. And didn't he win um, a big award, Sommelier of the Year or something like that for BC? Yeah, I believe it was... 2017 or 2018 he right. won he won it yeah exactly yes yeah for sure no he he's a great yeah spirit very good spirit yeah uh, he's my double a bit of a doppelganger as well so we, <laughs> we always joke about that so that's great that's great <laughs> one other point i wanted to make about the courses ian was um you know i get challenged a lot on you know wine is such a sensory experience it's about tasting how can you teach that online that you know what are you going to do text me the wine <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I think online courses are often almost better than in-person courses for a number of people. Um, First of all, there are a lot of people who are just too shy to sit in a wine course, a physical wine course. And then there are a lot of folks who are too busy, either they're traveling for work or they've got young kids and getting a babysitter and finding parking is just a hassle, or they're living in remote areas where physical wine courses aren't offered. And so what I love about the online courses is it, it's convenient for all of those people because you can log in from anywhere and uh, they get to meet each other. And we form kind of a little wine club through the classes. And that connection, I think, is what people are looking for as well. When you can't necessarily get it easily where you live or, you know, through the structure of a three-hour course at night after a long day of work, people just find it much more relaxing to be able to sort of log in online. And, you know, they don't have to turn on their video or whatever or participate, but they can, and a lot of them do. And I just love that that interaction. And someone's in Vancouver, someone else is in New York, someone's in Brazil. And it's, it's amazing, that connection that can happen online. Definitely. The global connection and, and being able to share that experience with with people all over the world and and like you said the the intimidation factor where people are at varying levels when they when it comes even if, if it's a if it's a standard course or an intro course or whatever people have different different levels so sometimes it it is that intimidation factor for sure and and then just like you said the ability to do it without having to have a set specific you know uh, like you said, I need to get a babysitter. I need to be down there at six o'clock, and I need to beat you know beat the traffic and and all that. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, of course, we record all our sessions, so they're archived, and people can also self-pace and go back and watch these videos again and again. Because at least with the way I do it, I offer lifetime access. Whereas you know, if you take a physical course, you're one and done. I mean, that's it. You don't have access to the teacher anymore. You might have the booklets, but you don't have access to those classes and so on. So I find a lot of people like that, too, like self-paced and and just layer your learning by playing it over and over again. I know one of my students um, plays one of my videos uh, every time friends come over, a certain group of friends, and they'll prop me up, I guess, on an iPad or their TV, and then they they stop and start the video that's been recorded, and they taste together and, and... you know, it's kind of like a guided uh, wine tasting in his home oh, with his cool. old friends. Yeah, cool. I love that. I love nice. the way different people use it. You know, there's there's another woman, and uh, she uses it uh, the course for date night with her husband, 
And of course, if she were taking a physical course, they'd be paying for two. But this way, you know, they only have to pay for the one course. And so it works out a lot for people in, in those ways as well. I know that you've been someone who's been on the news when they've wanted someone for, you know, for Valentine's Day, wine and food pairings or just best buys for, you know, different times of the year and stuff. And just curious about that. Sure. I've been on um, CTV's The Social, which is Canada's version of The View. It's now going into its seventh season. I'm very, very proud of the the hosts. There are four women and it's uh, Canada's largest daytime television show. And we often take an approach of um, seasonal, seasonal topics like, as you said, wines for Valentine's Day or, you know, how to host a wine tasting party, all kinds. We even pair wine with Halloween treats or whatever. It's a (laughs) lot of fun. And we keep it very practical, but very sort of tips driven. So that's one show I go on. Um, Global Television's Morning Show is another one. And CTV's Your Morning, as well as CTV News here in Ottawa. So my focus now is very much on video television rather than all the magazines and newspapers I used to write for. Gradually, one by one, I gave those up um, because I just couldn't do everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and print is having such a hard time. But video is so powerful. I mean, I think a lot of us watch video but no longer read a long story online. So that's why I've turned my attention there in terms of sharing those clips on social media and so on. And again, that entertainment factor, it has to be there if you're talking about a topic on television. So we're always wrapping some some story around it and some laughter and some, you know, sprinkle in some insider tips. But that's why I've really started focusing on TV. I just think it's so powerful in terms of a, a way to communicate. Speaking about Sean, I think he's he's kind of been one of Global BC's kind of uh, go-to guys as well the last um, the last year or so, especially after winning that um, you know Psalm of the Year uh, in 2018. He's kind of and like you said, he's got he's got that charisma as well. So he's been their kind of go-to guy out here a little bit. Absolutely, I'll, I'll bet he does a great job with that. Yeah, for sure. I was just thinking about your you've released an audiobook as well for your first novel. That's right, Red, White, and Drunk All Over: A Wine-Soaked Journey from Grape to Glass. Lots of fun. It was a marathon for the mouth, let me tell you, <laughs> because reading 120,000 words, yeah, you uh, you need more than wine to keep you going for something like that. But I love doing it. I think, you know, an audiobook, that, that is the way I consume books, uh, through audiobooks. It's also why I'm a huge podcast fan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I just, you know, you can listen to it on the go, like, and I hear back from the people who have been downloading um, the audiobook. It's available everywhere, by the way, you know, um, Amazon, Audible.com, iTunes, which is now Apple Books. Um, and I hear back, and I love the stories of how people are listening to it. So, of course, there's a lot of commuters who say, thanks for making my commute seem shorter <laughs> with the book. Yeah. And uh, people who take it, you know, on their headset or earbuds to the beach and that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, it, I love the way an audiobook can be a richer experience, I think, than reading print. You're going to start to think I'm anti-print here, but I'm not. <laughs> but, uh, you know, with audio, whether it's an audiobook or a podcast like this, you can convey tone 
uh, emotion, expression. You can have pauses. And I think, again, it goes back to that childhood love of being read to, having stories read to you. It's almost like spoon-feeding you the book. It's very comforting, I think. And uh, I love the experience of recording it and now hearing back from people who are who are listening to it. Yeah, my wife actually started uh, getting into audiobooks for her commute, and that was one of the books that she uh, she picked. So, Oh, lovely. Thank her for it. Yeah, I will, yeah. for sure. Terrific. I'm just thinking about memorable wines. Have you had anything recently that uh, really impacted you, and, and something that you've 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 drunk recently that you're like, man, this this just stood out. I think wine for me is all about context as well. Right. So the experiences um, that you get when you're when you're drinking it. Exactly. So on the long weekend recently, it was hot as heck, and we were out on this pontoon boat on a lake up north, and the sun was just dancing on the water. And I had an ice bucket of Tavel Rosé from France, mm. um, Chateau de Caria. And the, the sun was coming in through the bottle and making a like little ruby gems dance on the seat of the, uh, the boat. And I poured that. And the, the way I could just feel it go down inch by inch, <laughs> right down through me. It's cool, chill. And then the, the aromas came back up, of course, in the finish. And it was just glorious. It was the sun and the water and the warmth and then the chill contrast of this wine. It was so gorgeous. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, <laughs> I share uh, I share a story about one of my first great wines I had, which was, which was from Township 7. Mm, and right. It's called Black Dog, and it's one of their kind of club, club member-only uh, wines. And you can basically, when you get your club, you know, your club shipment, you, they basically only give you two bottles a year. My father-in-law, we had a, a party, a dinner party outside, and and kind of kind of al fresco with the lights in the lights in the trees. And he brought out one of these one of these black dog, uh, which kind of is kind of like a Bordeaux blend. And mm-hmm. uh, he brought out the bottle it was like a 2010, so it was this was a couple of years ago, so it was it was about six years old at the time. And uh, we were like, oh, he's bringing out one of this, you know, one of his supply, one of one of his limited quantities, and. I think there was about seven or eight of us at the table, so we all got you know half a half a glass each or whatever. And then you know he disappears and he comes back and he brought out his his other one from that year. We're like, oh, he's bringing out another black dog. <laughs> you know, it was this whole whole stock for the year was gone in the one night. But it was just it was just amazing. That's great. Yeah, he'll remember that for a long time. And the fact that it was a special bottle and that it was the end of the end of the line that that's lovely. So Natalie, how can we connect with you? Well, you can find most of the things that I offer at my website, which is nataliemclean.com. You'll find my podcast there. That's just nataliemclean.com forward slash podcast. It's unreserved wine talk. Uh, you'll find links to the audiobook there. I send out a regular Friday wine tips to your inbox just in time for the weekend. So you can take advantage of that. And of course, you can join me in my online courses. I teach, of course, the flagship course is Get Wine Smart. And then I do a very deep dive into wine and cheese pairing. That's a, a different course. So I, I hope your listeners will join me for one or all of those things. You also have something called Seven Unusually Great Food and Wine Pairings. That's kind of cool. That's right. That's actually something, thank you for reminding me, that I <laughs> created for your listeners. So um, it's Seven Unusually Great uh, Wine and Food Pairings. I put together a really great PDF. It's a free download for your listeners. 
And where they can get it is nataliemcleancom forward slash friends for Friends of the Vine, but just forward slash friends. Thanks, Natalie. I really appreciate us finally being able to connect like this. Oh, this is fantastic, Ian. Great to connect with you, too. I, I enjoy your podcast. I think we're going to leave it there for now. Thanks for listening. For more wine conversation and podcast updates, you can follow us on Instagram at Ian's Wine Truths. Check out our website for great photos of our guests, friendsofthevine.podbean.com. Take care. Have a glass for me.